What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest, and you're always welcome to this church whenever the doors are open. Like Aaron mentioned in the announcements, please take out that card in the back of your pew and fill that out and get that turned in. We want to reach out to you and just send you a note to say thank you for worshiping with us, and we'd like to invite you back out to our church. I don't know why you're here this morning, if you're just passing through, looking for a church home, whatever the case is, we're happy that you're here. We pray that you'll consider this place as your home, because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of California. Amen. All of California. Well, I have to, uh, before we even begin, spend some time talking about our men's retreat. Wow, what a feast we had, an amazing time. I think we had uh, preachers count, maybe 30 present at the men's retreat. We had a fun, fun time. We spent our weekend on Friday and Saturday in a conference room at a hotel in Lake Forest, and we all lived to tell about it. So that's a a very good sign. And the material that we covered was actually uh, entitled Work as Worship by J.D. Greer, and it was amazing. It was so awesome. Uh, We had good feedback, good conversation, good teachers, uh, just amazing. So you may be wondering uh, what it looked like, that, that whole retreat. I'll tell you what, we laughed. We cried, and we even did this. Show this next picture, Mike. We danced. Yes. We danced. That is a picture of our shepherd, one of them, <laughs> Ken DeBowes, along with Ben Wagner showing us the waltz. I thought that was pretty interesting um, to do at a men's retreat, but hey, that's how we do things here. But uh, he gave a great illustration on staying in step with the spirit, and it was just so powerful, and I think you can see Steve looking back at me as I take the picture there. But we had a great, great time at the retreat, and if you weren't able to attend men, you got to come out to the next one. Uh, We feel like we know each other better because of this retreat now, and I'm excited to see what God does uh, through our efforts this weekend. Okay, Mike, you can take that down. We embarrassed Ken long enough. Well, during the month of February, we are going to begin a new sermon series entitled, What's Love Got to Do With It? Amen. What's Love Got to Do With This? This title may sound a little familiar to you uh, because it is the title of a 1984 song recorded by the famous Tina Turner. And in the song, she says this, Oh, What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be? All right. Some of y'all don't know that song. That's all right. It's all right. Uh, So since February is the love month, I thought we would spend some time talking through this process of love. And that's a hint to you fellas. This month is the love month. Amen. However, I want to talk about this material from the perspective of loving our neighbors. Okay? And the title of the message this morning is the second great command. We are called to love our neighbors, even if our neighbors 
are different than us. I think there's a football game today, if I'm not mistaken. By a show of hands, this is just a pause, commercial break. How many Patriots fans do we have here this morning? Okay, we'll pray for you uh, after the service. There's exits right here. You can, no, no, but uh, you even got to love those Patriots fans. Amen. I know the Cogswells are big one. My wife is one there too. We are called to love everybody. Even if they're different from us, even though they think differently than us, they look differently, they might have a different interpretation or theology or hermeneutic, but we are called to love people. And I don't know about you, but when I moved to this region of the country, South Orange County, I learned something about this region. You see, I'm a Georgia boy at heart. I was born in Northern California, but raised in Georgia because of my dad's military service. And in the South, we have something that is called Southern hospitality. Amen, right? Uh, so when you speak to people, you say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You, you smile and you nod your head. You have to speak. But there's something about this region of South Orange County that lets me know this is not the friendliest region of the country. You see, when I graduated from Harding University, which is in Searcy, Arkansas, I had this southern charm down. I could smile and nod like the best of them. So Mary and I, I remember, we moved to this, uh, this part of the country, and I remember uh, walking down the street and in the mall, I would look people in the eyes and I would say, how are you doing? And it was so funny to me that people did not know how to respond. And as a matter of fact, they wouldn't even make eye contact with me. They would put their heads down and continue on. And I was thinking to myself, is it just me or I, I, I don't know what's going on, right? But over the course of the time, I realized that that is the culture in some large metropolitan cities. That is the culture in South Orange County. And you know what I did over the course of time? My southern hospitality begin to get pushed away, further and further away, to where now I'm one of those people. Where if you look at me in the eyes while I'm walking down the street, I will say, what are you looking at me for? What do you want? Right? And it's so funny because I traveled back to Georgia a couple of months ago, and I remember landing in the Hartsfield International Airport, getting off the plane, walking into the airport, and by the time I made it to the baggage claim, I think about 15 people looked at me and said, hello, how are you doing, and gave me a head nod, and I didn't even know how to respond. It was weird. Yeah, we're not the friendliest region of the country, but I think God calls us to be friendly and neighborly people. He calls us to love. So how do we do that in a region, in a part of the country where this is really not the MO? What's love got to do with it? I've got a couple of passages of scripture that I want to look at this morning, and then the message will be yours. The first is found in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. And you know this text very, very well. You've read it countless times. You've heard numerous sermons on it, but just hang with me and follow along. The scripture says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? You can highlight that, underline that, write that down. What must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses said? How do you 
read it, which is an interesting concept there. Jesus said, well, what is your hermeneutic? What do you understand about Scripture? How do you read it? Then the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. The second great command is what I want to focus on this morning. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That is the second greatest command. Loving God with all your heart is number one. Loving your neighbor is number two. And we can close the scripture, not really, but close the scripture and say, that's the end. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think about it, that can be really hard to do, can't it? I've met some people in my time that aren't the nicest, sweetest people. I've met some people in my time that are rude, condescending, have evil intent. But we are still called to love our neighbors as Ourself. If we continue on in this text in Luke, we see a story of uh, this individual encountering uh, a person who had been robbed and who had been beaten. And Jesus gives this great illustration uh, of this priest seeing the condition of this individual who had been robbed and who had been beaten and looking at this individual and seeing the condition. And you know what he did as we look at Scripture? He walked on by on the other side. When he saw his neighbor in need, when he saw his neighbor in pain, when he saw his neighbor in a condition in which he couldn't help himself, the priest, the religious person of the day, walked on by on the other side. How many of us have walked on by on the other side before? We were living in San Pedro, which is in the South Bay, up in the L.A. region, and I remember taking my girls to a pizza hut on uh, Pacific and Gaffey, like on 7th. And it's a really crowded area. It's a really diverse area. Uh, how else can I put it? It's crazy, okay? It's a, it's a crazy area. And I remember my daughters and I walking into a pizza hut, and we saw a homeless lady sitting on the stoop or on the curb next to Pizza Hut. And uh, as my daughters and I were walking to go into the store, she screamed at the top of her lungs, Don't touch me! And it scared me and my daughters to death. I tell you what, uh, Layla started crying, Izzy started crying, and they said, Dad, I don't ever want to leave the Army base ever again. I don't like pizza anymore because of this experience. Let's go to Domino's. No more Pizza Hut. Even now, no Pizza Hut, Dad. It scarred them. And now when they see people with that condition, you know what they want to do? Walk on by on the other side. And you know what I want to do as a father to protect my children? Walk on by on the other side. So there are three really possibilities or attitudes that we can have towards our neighbor. One is that we can walk on by on the other side because we don't feel like dealing with them and their drama and their mess. How is it going to impact me? So we can walk on by on the other side. And then you look down at verse number 32, and we kind of continue on in the text and the story there. I don't have the slide up on the screen, but you can, you can think about this text 
And the natural progression is, is there is a Levite next, and he sees the person in this condition, and the Levite did something a little different than the priest. Something a little bit different than the priest. The Levite, the scripture says, looked at the person and then walked on by on the other side. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of that sometimes. I'll see a person in need that's marginalized, destitute, not doing well, and I'll see them. And I'll acknowledge that I see them. I may even give them a head nod. But you know what I'll do? Walk on by on the other side. And what's interesting about this text is that there were two religious people, the priest and the Levite, and they didn't stop to help at all. What's love got to do with it? Everything, church. Absolutely everything. So what do we do about that? How would we flesh that out? How do we change this mentality and this, this mindset? We're going to get to the third attitude that you can have a little bit later on, and it's found in verse number 33 as you continue on in the text. But right now I want to look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. So if you would, flip over there, and I want to examine this text together. Matthew 7 and, and verse number 12. The Scripture says this, So when everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. The scripture says that we should treat people how we want to be treated. And when I think about this text, it reminds me of something that we all know too well here in Southern California. The other day, we were driving back from the retreat, and I saw this lady uh, at an intersection, and she was, she was paused there, and the light was green, and she wasn't paying attention. The person behind her was leaning on the horn. I mean, had both arms sitting forward on the horn, just ee. And I'm thinking in my mind, who is this person in the front that's not going in this green? And then I kind of drive up. It's an it's a elderly lady. And she's not really paying attention. And all of us are flustered, honking the horns, looking at this lady, right? What is wrong with you? I drove up and I said, oh, it's grandma. You can't do that to grandma. Leave grandma alone, right? But that's what we do, right? We get a little road rage, things like that happen. We honk on the horn. We get impatient with people. We get inconsiderate, like my neighbor who lets their dog use the restroom on my front lawn. And I have to go out and clean it up, amen, right? And I can be easily jaded. I've had thoughts in my mind on what I could do to get this person. No, I haven't. Okay, yes, I have. Yeah, we've got to learn to treat people how we would want to be treated because you never know people's condition. You never know their background. Never know what they're going through. So we have to be mindful of that. All of us carry baggage. All of us have weight on our shoulders, and we have no idea what our neighbors are going through. Another thing that I learned that we have to respect when thinking about our neighbors and treating people how they want to be treated, we have to be mindful of personal space. And I'm not talking about talking distance, even though I think we should be mindful of that, because close talkers are difficult to deal with sometimes, amen? But we have to be mindful of people's personal space. I realize that in this culture of Southern California, Sometimes it can be viewed the wrong way if you get into people's lives sometimes. They don't know how to respond and react to that. 
Sometimes you have to respect people's personal space. That's missiology 101, right? When you go into a foreign country, you have to understand the culture and how people function and how they act. You know you don't shake your, you, you put your hand out and shake people's hands with your right hand because that could mean something or your, so forth and so on, right? So we have to consider the cultural context. And sometimes in this culture, personal space is very valuable. And we have to be mindful of that. Sometimes people don't want us in their lives like that. So we have to be strategic about how we, how we do that. You know, it's interesting because of... Uh, uh, my age demographic, um, which is 30-somethings, maybe even late 20-somethings. Um, <laughs> I heard that. Um, you know what we do to communicate now is we text, right? And, and, and even younger ages than me, like 19, 20, early 20s or so, do you know that a call is really threatening? You know, it's, it's interesting to me. Now, it's not threatening to me. I just don't like to talk on the phone, but a call... <laughs> It's threatening to young people. It's like if you call them, they're like, uh-oh, what's going on? You're getting too close. You're invading my personal space. What, what, what's happening here? I, I realize that about some of our young people. They would much rather you text because texting is not as threatening. You're not invading their personal space as much, and they can respond, and you can't see the emotions on their face, so they feel comfortable with that. Just text me. Don't call. But then some of us in you know, little later stages in life, I heard one of our shepherds talk about that. I just don't understand why they won't pick up the phone, and it kind of hurts my heart. And then he goes back and tells us a story about his dad. We used to write my dad letters, and now my dad gets his heart hurt. We don't write. So we, all I'm saying, church, is we have to be mindful of the cultural shifts and be able to operate in that, right? The shoe doesn't fit in every single context all the time. We've got to be strategic in how we approach people and love on them. And that's all I'm saying this morning. So the question is, how do we... How do we start loving our neighbors? Next slide is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. You guys follow along with me. Pay attention to this text. It's a powerful one. It's really meaningful. Listen to this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. Write that one down, underline that one. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I think the next passage says something about be mindful of doing good, especially those who belong to the household of faith or something of that nature. Don't get weary in doing well. I had a uh, professor of mine who uh, told me a very interesting story about what it means to become weary in doing well and oftentimes becoming jaded. This professor of mine was a, um, a white male, maybe in his 20s with his wife, a uh, white couple, uh, and they decided that God was calling them to the mission fields of Africa. And in particular, I believe they were in Rwanda. And he said in his story that when we first moved to Africa, we had a huge target on our backs. Why? Not only were we Americans and people in that part of the country thought we were made of money, but on top of that, we were white. So that adds to that 
thought process even more. Two young, wealthy, white Americans in all-black Rwanda. So the people there said, you know what? This couple may have some money. And they were young at the time, right, in their 20s. And they had in their heart, they need to help everybody because everybody's need is real. So oftentimes when they were in the mission field, on the mission field, at their homes, people would come up to their house and knock the door. And one day there was a lady who had a child in her arms that came and knocked on this missionary couple's door, and the baby was really, really sick to the point of death. And this lady said to my professor and his wife, I really need some money. My baby is sick. My baby is going to die. And that day, my missionary friends, my professor, said he took everything that he had out of his pocket and gave it to this woman. And then he noticed this woman going to his next-door neighbor with the same story. And he thought to himself, well, I just gave her money. That's kind of odd. But he didn't think much about it. But later on, he learned from the local villagers that this woman was running a Ponzi scheme, right? She was an actress, and what she did is she borrowed a friend's baby and would go and target all the white missionaries in the area to get money, and then she would take that money and spend it on herself. It may give a dollar to the family who let her rent the baby, if you will. That's an interesting concept. That rented the baby for a little bit. And this missionary couple said they had similar stories like that year after year after year after year to the point where they got so jaded and so hardened that when anybody came with a story to their house, they said, yeah, right, I don't believe it. Have you been there before, church? I've been there. You've been burned so many times that at this point you don't believe anything. Highly cynical, nothing could happen. Maybe a year later, there was another incident with this couple. There was a man who came to his door and said, you know what? My son, who is out in the village, is really, really sick. He's 16 years old. He's to the point of death. I need your help. And my friend, my professor and his wife looked at this man and said, I do not believe you. And he said, you know, I may come up there in about three days' time. And he said, you know what, if you're outside and you're waiting in my house uh, on my doorstep, in about three days' time, I'll load you up in my car and we can go to the village to see about your son. How about that? John went to sleep, woke up three days later, was there getting ready to hop in his car. This man shows up. He's on his doorstep. And John said, okay, you can hop in the car with me. They drive out to the village, and John gets to the village, to the hut, and he noticed women crying, family members crying, and he had found out that day that that 16-year-old boy had died. And John said that broke his heart. He had become so jaded that he didn't believe any stories at all. And John keeps replaying in his mind, if I would have come a couple of days sooner, if I would have really believed that story, if I had a softer heart, I wonder if the outcome would have changed. I just tell you that story, church, because I think all of us can become jaded. We can become weary in well-doing. And when I look at the life of Jesus, I don't see one that has become jaded. I don't see one that says, no, 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 you get up on your feet, you handle it yourself. I see someone that says, you know what, I'm willing to help no matter what. As a matter of fact, he says this, if someone strikes you on your left cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone wants to sue you for your jacket, you give them everything. That's the type of person that I see in Christ. And the question is, are we loving our neighbors in that way? I know I have a lot to work to do in that area. 
want to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 through 28. It says here, do not withhold good from those who deserve it. When it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it to you tomorrow when you now have it with you. That's a tough one, isn't it? And there's not much exegesis that needs to be done on this text. It says what it says. If you have the ability to do good and to help somebody out, you got to do it. That's our job. That's what it means to follow the second greatest command. Now, I think there's some strategy in how you do it. I don't want to discard that and throw that out. But if we become so jaded that we look at people and we say, you got to do it yourself, I think that's not what the Lord wants from us. I don't believe it. Last slide, and then I'll be done. Luke chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. This is the third way we can look at our neighbors. The third way. We talked about two in the beginning. This is the third way. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And I think many of us will say, well, well, look at the context. Look at the story. Look at the situation. It's different today. You just can't do that. I, I would agree with that. But I think what I see in this text is a tremendous amount of empathy for people who are going through some hardships and struggles. And I think we have to be mindful of that. And we've got to be careful about not being jaded. I've got a video real quick to show you. When I was a minister up in Sacramento at a church, there was this guy by the name of Reggie that I would see often hanging out on the streets, really grotesque figure, didn't know his story. And when I would see Reggie, I would walk on by to the other side because I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And God taught me a powerful message about Reggie. Mike, would you go ahead and show this clip at this time? My name is Reggie Worthy. That's my name. I was born and raised right here in Sacramento. I was born in Death Valley, Ohio. was not too far from here. I was born and raised. I've been here all my life. And um, I had two good parents. You know, I went to school. I always went to school. I liked, I liked the school. And um, after I graduated, I did a couple of years of college. And then I went to the military. And I was. I was good in the military. I got an honorable discharge, but I got married in the military to this wonderful young lady. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think that's when my life started to make a turnaround, a whole complete turnaround, because when she got out of the military, she was pregnant with my child, and I was supposed to go to Virginia, and I came to Sacramento, cause, you know, because I was put putting harms in that lady's way. She gave me her life. And, I just messed her over. But at the time when, you know, she came to Sacramento and um, we raised kids, but I was still a terrible person at that time. And I, as I got out of the military, I just actually just turned into a different person than I was before I went. And I was turning to just didn't have a heart, didn't care, you know. I just did people wrong especially my kids, and, you know, I just, 
didn't live good for people. I got a good job, but didn't have no heart to keep the job. Then I got married again after she left me. I got married again to this other lady, had two kids by her. Me and her stayed together for like 11. My first wife was only like five years. My second wife was like 11 years. And uh, we went along, we were doing the drugs. I was a nice looking guy and all the women wanted me, you know. But then after a while, time came down for me that I got tired of being that person on that day, July 23rd. I got tired of being the person that I was. I just got tired. I didn't want to be that no more. So I went out to my garage, turned my lawnmower over, and I poured gasoline in a jar. I poured it on my body, and I went in the back of the house and asked somebody to give me a, a lighter. They didn't know what I wanted it for. So I went back out to the garage, and I just flicked it. Poof! I'm on fire. I just run into the house, I'm on fire. Then I ran back outside and I rolled over and rolled over and the fire still didn't go out. So I ran back in the house, fire still going. So I stood in the mirror in the bathroom and my head just swelled. I said, I can just see the fire on my back just burning and my head just starts swelling. So I ran back outside again and I ran out of breath. So I just laid down on the concrete. You know, I had a wonderful life. Is, is the church that I worked at was right in that region, Del Paso Heights. And uh, I remember going to work, you know, during the week. Uh, and I would always see Reggie walking down the street, uh, walking by a church. One time he knocked on our back door and asked for some money. And I would look at Reggie. And I had an amount of empathy for him. But then the other side of me was like, you got to get it together. Like, what, what do you want? Why are you on the street? Why are you doing this? Why are you living this lifestyle? I would see him all the time. And it got so, uh, I got so used to seeing him that I became jaded and, and failed to notice. I would walk and I'd say, hey, there's Reggie, and keep on going about my business. And what was so interesting is that uh, a couple of weeks ago, this clip came out, and it was on Vimeo. And uh, I said, that's Reggie. And our church was actually in the background in, in one of those photos. I said, that's, that's Reggie. That's him. And then I actually got to hear his story of how he struggled in his life and he tried to take his life. And the question I ask myself is, what have I been doing for him? Besides throwing him in a little money here and there, possibly waving when I see him. And his figure, his face is so grotesque that when you see him, it scares you and it causes you to walk on the other side. If Jesus was here in the flesh and he saw Reggie, I wonder what Jesus would do. And I just want to leave you with that, with that thought. So as we close this morning, the question that I have for you this morning is, how are you doing with loving your neighbors? How am I doing with loving my neighbors? And the reason I say that is because our neighbors need love. And we don't know what their stories are. We don't know what their backgrounds are, but we know our neighbors need love. And why is that so important? Because scripture says that God is love. So by loving our neighbors, they get to see 
God. This morning, by way of invitation, maybe there's someone here that hasn't been doing this in the best way, is falling short in this area. We've got an invitation for you. We'd ask you to come forward. The church will pray with you, pray for you. Maybe this morning you aren't a Christian, and you've been seeking love. You've been seeking acceptance. I tell you what, the best place that you could ever be a part of, or the best community that you could ever be a part of, is the church. And the question I have for you is, why are you delaying? We've got a baptistry ready. If you're ready to give your life to the Lord today, we'll baptize you in water. You can be added to the kingdom, and you'll experience a love that is amazing. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of